podcast about comedy, comics, and other such nonsense. I'm your host, E.R. Flynn, a cartoonist and graphic artist living here in the Pacific Northwest. In each show, I'll be discussing a topic that is related to the comics I've published on Substack. Welcome to another episode of Escape from Clown Town. In today's podcast, I'm going to be talking about some of the artists and the movies that influenced my art as a child. Hopefully you'll find this entertaining and informative and learn a little something about the golden age of monster movies on TV. I grew up in a small town called Elmira in upstate New York during the 1960s. This was a time when there wasn't any internet or cable TV to connect us 24-7 to the world and all its distractions. Instead, we only had three local TV and radio stations, a couple of public libraries, and a few local newsstands. One of those newsstands was Ruben's Cigar and Newsstand in downtown Elmira. Each week, I would eagerly anticipate the trip Dad and I would take to Ruben's. He would go to there to buy a Sunday newspaper while I would scan the stands for the latest issue of Mad or Cracked. I was an avid reader of those magazines and could always cajole my dad into buying me the latest issue. But one Sunday, I noticed an issue of Famous Monsters of Filmland calling out to me. It was issue 52, and on the cover was the vampire Barnabas Collins from Dark Shadows. Dark Shadows was a new afternoon gothic soap opera about a vampire who returns from the grave and, in a nutshell, basically bothers his descendants. It was a huge hit in 1968. And since Dad knew that I watched it with my aunt, who would babysit me and my sister in the afternoons, he thought that Famous Monsters was a perfectly harmless Hollywood rag. Oh, how little he knew. Famous Monsters of Filmland was a visual gateway drug to the bigger world of horror and sci-fi movies, and then comic books, that would twist my little mind into the artist I am today. Warren Publications, which produced Famous Monsters of Filmland, also put out eerie and creepy magazines. These were horror comics in a magazine format, which exempted them from carrying the seal of the Comics Code Authority. The Comics Code Authority was created in 1954 in response to a drummed-up, phony public concern over gory and horrific comic book content. But thanks to the code being self-governed by the comic industry, Publishers who chose not to use the comic book format were free to have content as gruesome and as ghoulish and as adult as they wanted. I discovered these two magazines, Eerie and Creepy, not at Rubens, but at the drugstore down the block from my grade school one day while I had snuck out during lunch recess to buy some candy bars with my lunch money. Yeah, back in those days, kids could easily sneak out from school and go back to home for lunch or go down the blocks of the drugstore, or go to some park without the threat of abduction. Mostly. Anyways, my young little eyes feasted on the mind-blowing art between the covers of Eerie and Creepy. I couldn't believe that the clerk would sell me this magazine. I saved up my lunch money all month to buy each issue when it hit the stands. Between the famous monsters, Mad, and Cracked magazines I would con my dad into buying, any Eerie and Creepy mags I had bought on my own, I was amassing quite a collection. The space under the bed in my bedroom was filling up to the point where it was starting to make my bed kind of lumpy. However, my addiction for monster magazines was only made worse by Saturday afternoon TV. 
That's when Channel 3 out of Syracuse would air Monster Movie Matinee. The show would feature schlocky horror and sci-fi movies from the 1930s to the 1950s. At that time, TV stations acquired these movies from distributors who marketed these movies in bundles with such great names as Shock or Sci-Fi of the 60s. And stations around the country who were desperate to fill their airwaves with content and advertising saw the potential for success in such programming in order to keep regular audiences around for weekly late-night horror showcases. This gave rise, of course, to what we now know as the late-night horror host. While other TV markets had the late-night Vampira, Goulardi, or Zachary hosting their creature features, Channel 3 in Syracuse had opted for a Saturday afternoon show which followed Saturday morning cartoons, of course, to keep the kiddies tuned in. The show was hosted by Dr. E. Nick Witty and his servant E. Powell. They really made the program worth watching thanks to their ridiculously low-budget and low-brow humor, which, of course, young boys like myself found hilarious. The show opened with a mix of music lifted from the scores of various American international horror movies. See if you can recognize what films the music here is from. As the music played, the studio camera would pan over an obvious model of a haunted house on a hill, enshrouded by quickly evaporating dry ice fog. The shot would then fade into an interior shot of a single hand playing an organ's keyboard. Each of the hand's fingers was tipped with a comically large and long black fingernail, and rings adorned each finger. The hand would stop playing the keyboard and start to articulate like a Revlon hand model as you began to hear kind host Dr. Enoch Witty's voice introduce the show. His servant Epal would usually walk on stage as the camera zoomed out a little bit to show the rest of the quite cheesy set. Here's a little sample from the show. Come in, come in, come, come, come. Come in, don't be shy. I'm sure our host will bid you welcome. Who is it, Epal? Something comes. Someone, kind host. It is our guest again. Most unfortunate that you should have company during this full moon. Uh, so it is, Epal. But be so kind as to bid our guest welcome to Monster Mansion. I must apologize for my appearance at this time, but I'll make up for it. Tonight I have for you a tale of werewolf terror that I think will prove most interesting. <laughs> the banter between Witty and Epal would continue before and after each commercial break as they drew out some overly long, cheap gag involving either a magical ring or a brain under glass or the threat of Epal's lycanthropy returning. This was truly lowbrow magic meant to inspire. The other magic that inspired me was the art found in these Warren magazines. It's what made me want to be an artist. 
I would drool over the work by Bernie Wrightson, Reed Crandall, Richard Corbin, Alex Toth, and John Severinsen. Warren Mags really did have the best artist. I would see magazines by Warren's competitors like Nightmare and Psycho or eerie publications Witch's Tales, Weird, or Terror Tales. But even then, at my young age, I knew they were lesser quality. Warren Publications further amped up their visual wow factor to me when they started using Spanish artists from the Barcelona studio of Spanish agency Selecciones Illustrada. These artists included Esteban Maroto, Jaime Bracal, Martin Sandoval, Jose Ortiz, Luis Garcia, Jose Gonzalez, Jose Brea, and cover artist San Julian. My God, the talents of these artists were incredible. I would try, and mostly fail, to copy the artist's work just so I could learn their techniques as much as any young teen could without any real art training. The only other comic artist whose work had a major influence on me is that of Will Eisner, who of course I didn't learn about until Warren reprinted all of Eisner's The Spirit comics from the 40s and 50s. Yes, I owe a lot to James Warren for introducing me to a world of comic artist talent that was hard to surpass. Years later, around 1998, I met Jim Warren. It was in a business meeting arranged by a couple of pals and I. We had dreams of starting up a new horror sci-fi fan magazine, and in our hubris, thought we could pitch the idea to the miraculous James Warren. While Jim was a bit older, he had lost none of his business acumen. He knew we had only half thought out this magazine idea and let us know about it in quick order. When he was done berating our half-assed plans, I thanked him for not only the short lesson in publishing, but also for teaching me how to draw. Thankfully, I got less of a grimace than my pals did. To this day, I still have a box of creepy, eerie, and famous monsters magazines hidden deep in the closet of my office. Every once in a while, I trot them out when feeling nostalgic. No matter how much they're starting to molder or yellow, or how musty the newsprint stinks, I can still detect the slightest whiff of the fresh ink smell that I look forward to every month when the magazine was new on the stands. Or perhaps it's just that one last bit of magic left in these magazines. If you want to see the work by some of the Warren artists I'm talking about, as well as some of the lost footage of the monster movie matinee, surf on over to my site, erflynn.substack.com. While there, you can also look at my own comics and sign up to get them each week into your email box. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and found it entertaining and informative. Thank you for listening. If you're listening to this on some other podcast platform, I suggest you pop on over to erflynn.substack.com and subscribe to my weekly comics. If you become a paid subscriber, you'll get immediate access to paid content as well as swag and any printed comics. Check it out at erflynn.substack.com.